0: Hey, what's up, Life After High School family? If you're watching or listening to this, congratulations. You've made it to the end of another crazy year here on planet Earth. It's been a great 80 plus episodes of the show, and I want to thank you all for your never ending love and support for continuing to help grow this show and make it the number one podcast in Sudbury and one day the world. To celebrate, we pulled together some favorite moments we've had on the show this past year. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Life After High School's top moments from 2021. How Rob Ramsey landed Blue Mountain State.
1: While I was in university, I landed a show called Blue Mountain State, uh, which we were shooting, uh, which I started shooting, I think, in my second year. Really? And, um, goodness, how do I surmise all this? Uh, um, Graduated university, um, uh, had some more success in the acting world, and decided to go to um, L.A. So I moved to L.A., uh, for a few years. And um, you know, actually, I should preface that by saying I was going to go get my master's in acting. I was fortunate enough to be accepted to the uh, New School University uh, in New York City and um, almost went there, but they had a stipulation where you couldn't do outside work no. while you were in school because they. You're, you become a product of their teachings and they want to really craft you before you're released into the, the wild world of acting. And, and I had already started booking stuff, so it just didn't yeah. make sense. Um, uh, but I became intrigued about moving to the States. Um, and so, yeah, so I moved to LA, uh, lived with uh, my buddy, Alan Richardson, who played Thad in BMS for, uh, for a few months and kind of went back and forth for a bit until I decided to really give it a go. Um, and moved down there full time for a few years. And, uh, and then I hated LA and uh, (laughs) decided to move back. I, uh, for many reasons there, for me, it just wasn't for me. I didn't find that there was any sense of community. Um, yeah, everything's just so spread out. And, um, and I was doing a long distance relationship that whole time. So that didn't help either. Um, but, uh, So, yeah, I packed things up and moved home and um, have just been sort of shooting stuff here and there, making my own stuff ever since. And, uh, yeah, that's a, like, rough summation of (laughs) it.
0: And so that's crazy, though, because my cousin played football for the Acadian team, but I can't remember what years because I'm like, man. But, uh, yeah, because he played for Acadia as well. Um, I like, did that the whole way through, I think, but I think it, his program was clearly more like the, there was kind of, he basically did football and then did school again afterwards. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't try to do it both at the same time. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm going to go play football and then I'll figure out this school thing. So, yeah, all right.
1: yeah it's a full-time commitment. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not uh, like most schools, I think you have to maintain a certain grade average and then you have practice every just about every night, and then games, and and you got to study and do your, yeah. watch the tapes, and yeah. So,
0: I guess what I'm wondering with all that is, um, what were kind of some, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced when you were, let's say, when you're in your, kind of like your mid twenty range, there, like figuring out kind of what to do. What, like, I guess what I'm wondering actually was, what kind of inspired the move to LA? Was it, it was because of the role in BMS?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, yeah, I had been fortunate enough to have some success and I, uh, I kind of just felt like I got to just give this, I got to give this a really good go. I got to give it a hundred percent. And that fortunately, unfortunately moves um, means moving to Los Angeles and trying it down there. Yeah. And um and I wanted to challenge myself and uh and at the time my um uh, my girlfriend who I did the long distance with in LA and have since married, it all worked out. Yeah. Um Congratulations. she was getting her masters in London, England. So I thought, well, she's away anyways, why don't I take this opportunity to go um go try it and and explore that and uh yeah. So yeah. And-
0: what was what's the getting an agent process like especially at that age when uh, like you've had only, like you have the degree and then you have a, like a couple of theater performances and stuff like when you still need a lot more experience what's that like
1: it's a great question i was i was pretty fortunate i um before i got to university i played a lot of football i played in high school and then i played in this other ontario league cool. and when i was doing that there was a guy um I was playing for a team called the Metro Toronto Wildcats and okay, yeah. when I was um the, when I was doing that one day during practice this guy showed up and um he said he was a f- scouting people to be extras in a new football movie um yeah. a movie called It's a Boy Girl thing yeah. and uh one of the coaches was like hey you should talk to Rob he I know everyone knew I did theater as well I yeah kind of loud um and so he came over and approached me and got me and a couple other guys to come do it and I got to set and the director saw me and um and he was like hey we actually have this role it's just one line but I'm gonna give it to you and so I had that under my belt uh, I had done one production yeah but what um what I did and what I sort of tell everyone to do is uh we have this actors union called Actra and they have a website. Um, I think they still do have this now, but on it, it had a list of every agent in Ontario, I think. Um, and, and sort of what they did, some agents specialize in commercial, some specialize in theater. And so I just sort of went through that whole list of like a couple hundred agents, found the ones who did everything. Cause I, I wanted an agent who did a lot and I just cold emailed them and I said, Hey, my name's Rob. I have been doing theater for a while. I just recently did this movie, um, small part in this movie, and I I had a headshot. And so I sent them my headshot. Probably sent out about 300, 200, uh, and heard back from 10 and met with five and then met with um, two more of them again and then eventually chose my agent. And, uh, and I was fortunate enough to sign with um, one of the great agents in Canada, Rich Kaplan, and, uh, nice. and I've been with him ever since. He kind of just took a shot on me. And, and you go in, as when you, don't have that, when you don't have that much experience, you have to go in and do cold reads for them, which essentially means that they give you a script. Yeah. In the room, they say, take five minutes, go look it over. And then I came back and did it, performed it, read it with them.
0: Dr. Dre donates his liver. You did some like remarkable on that day. And you're laughing, but like I'm I was uh flabbergasted when I heard what you date. So can you uh enlighten everybody on what I what we both know.
2: i am surprised that you, you got the date. Uh
3: so I, I keep messing up the day when I was got because uh, the ninth is when me and Brian started dating so I always gotta I mix up the, those days So June ninth wow. so June twelfth. There's a few significant days kinda yeah, really back, back to back. Oh, yeah. So yeah. uh uh what yeah. Happened? So June twelfth, twenty twelve I had the opportunity to um, uh, to give a, a part of my liver. Uh, part of, so in 2011, my uncle was diagnosed with uh, liver <laughs> cancer. Jeez. So he was very fortunate the way it happened. Um, he went for, uh, I think it was like kidney stones. They were suspecting he had kidney stones. So the, uh, the ultrasound technician was awesome. So I actually was ultrasounding, or he, or, as, a, as a technician, was ultrasounding the mm-hmm. kidneys they noticed something in the liver just because like you, you have the kidney right here mm-hmm. and the back and then the liver with the ultrasound was just a little right, bit above right above so the tech expanded their their, their field and, and then they they were able to see the I uh, it was like two three or four nodes so anyways it was diagnosed my uncle was diagnosed short story uh yeah he was diagnosed with liver cancer and it was like specific to the liver cuz it didn't metastasize so it didn't move anywhere so specific to the liver so uh yeah he got the unfortunate news that he had the the unfortunate c the cancer um and then, yeah so uh, he um we he underwent certain steps and uh his uh my aunt Linda she found out about the, uh live liver donors so um it's it's a rel- at the time to me it was new practice but i think it started in, like in the nineties where people would kind of go under surgery and there was there was a, was only a select few um at the time that were that were done um so yeah, so I was able to uh i went to she went through the testing unfortunately, she wasn't a match for my uncle, and then I went to start going through the testing and fortunately i was a i was a match, so my blood type my liver my liver size and all the other stuff it was it was within their tolerance level okay uh yeah. for 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 me to become a match yeah and uh yeah, so there's a few things that I had to do um because, because of my diet at the time, I I just crushed sugar all day and a lot of grains and stuff like that. So I had a, a, a what they call now as a non-alcoholic fatty liver. So I had like liver. I had fat within my liver, so I had to lean that out. So I wanted like an OptiFast diet. So I think I lost something like 40 pounds, and just so the only thing I was drinking is like these OptiFast shakes for like three three months. Sounds
4: ridiculous. Yeah,
3: oh, it was, it was brutal. Um, oh. Uh, Frank and my mom and my dad probably just hated me, I was, I was probably like the, the biggest jerk to them for the longest time. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, always hungry. <laughs> always hungry, yeah, oh, no. going from like, I don't know, like 2,500 to like 3,000 calories down to like 900 calories, so I was probably, oh yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so everything worked out and I was, uh, clean out the liver, did all the stuff that I had to do, and, uh, I had the opportunity to, to give up part of my liver, uh, to give to my uncle. So they, they took out like the, the right lobe, and uh, and then so they took yeah so they cut me open, kind of went in there, mm. took my took the section that they, they needed from for me gave it to him, and then my liver got to to regrow. Um, yeah, it's interesting it, that I can do that. Yeah, it's just, just like skin, so it's really two organs cool. I can regrow as the liver now, and one, so it, so, yeah. So now I have a a different version of a liver than most people, but uh, it still works. And it's, 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 awesome. And, uh, so yeah, 20, so we're coming up on, uh, 12, 10 years of, uh, of him still being with us and he's, uh, cancer free and all that other jazz.
0: Amazing. So next, yeah. uh, next summer, will be a yeah, next summer
3: will be a decade. Yeah, June 11, 2022. Yeah. So, but I'm just surprised on how wow. the research has, has come along. Cause it's just, uh, about a year after me, Toronto general, uh, celebrated their 100th live liver donor. So 10 years ago. And then now, yeah. Whoa. So it was relatively new at the time for Toronto General. Is that not scary? Like, were you not like, what was that
0: process like when they when like you're like, oh yeah, like did all you guys decide to go get tested to go see if you could uh, all donor? Just,
3: just my just my aunt and just me, because um, it's a relatively expensive process, right? Because we have to go for like blood work, uh, MRIs, CT scans. So that's what the process is. Eh? Like, yeah, MRIs, blood yeah. So There's just yeah. and then uh, I got stabbed twice for like a liver biopsy to make sure that my liver was up to snuff and stabbed. It was snuff. Yeah,
0: I'm so. I'm not in the medical field, so I'm a little unaware so of what those terms are. They
3: they took a, a biopsy, so they just had to take <laughs> pieces of, uh, like they just had to take pieces of my liver. So like I'm just going to mirror just because where the camera is. So they just mm-hmm. went between my ribs with like a like a, a, a needle about ye long. What do you was, mean like yay yeah, yeah, long? It, it That's going through it,
0: one side out the
3: other. It looked about that long. <laughs> so they went <laughs> probably they, felt my, that long. Yeah. <laughs> oh uh, no. Uh, so they, they I'm not too sure if they did an incision. So they came in between my ribs and just kind of. My liver and they pulled tissue samples out just to see how the quality of my liver, yeah, that happened twice. So, yeah, there's just different things like that, <laughs> that, that happened, happened twice, by the way. Yeah, Ooh, no. they had to see how at the time because I had the, the fatty liver, so they had yeah. to see the content of it. Because it's uh, a, yeah. if I remember correctly, if it's over 10% of fat in the liver, as soon as they take the liver out and they put it on ice, the fat will destroy the rest of the liver. So, all the efforts Uh-oh. that I did. It will be wasted because as soon as they put it on ice, mm-hmm. the liver is dead. Just because the the way the fat will harden or whatever and it just destroys it's the liver. fat just ruins the liver, right? Eh? Yeah. Oh, um, man. So yeah, so I had to get it under 10%.
0: So I, I was able to clean that out. Joe's favorite experience in Latin America.
5: In my intention to like learn, I ended up going and spending my first kind of 30 days at a Spanish school. Um, so in a small town of Colombia called San Carlos. And... Well, wow. you know, I had the intention to learn, so I'd go and uh, ended up. It was a workaway. Uh, it's a that's a platform where you can kind of exchange um, whatever services or volunteer work for food and board, um, which is nice.
0: Workaway
5: and, and workaway. It's workaway.info. Um, yeah, I highly recommend it as a a tool and a almost community as well for connecting with opportunities that are. Um, Volunteer specific, but allow you to whether extend your travels or really connect with people. Um, it's a great. Wow. highly recommend it. But um, that's cool. Yeah. So in, in San Carlos, the the Spanish school, um, Danielle and Camilo, they're uh, two Colombians who in 2016 had left, um, kind of working in Medellin, the bi- the bigger city, there, and went to go start their own Spanish school, and in the, the their in one of them's hometown mm-hmm. and their passion for the language, but also just the amount of fun that, um, and the authenticity of that the experience that they created where, um, you know, you're learning Spanish, you're spending a couple hours a day doing Spanish, doing homework, um, conversing in the town. Uh, but then the town is surrounded by nature. So in the afternoons, every day we'd go and, uh, hike to a waterfall, swim in the river, um, go canyoning, big hike. It was a really incredible experience that I ended up, I started the trip there. I did about, I did 30 days. And then I went back uh, to Columbia and to visit there, I think four more times. Um, so spent about 10 weeks total visiting and just really embracing and falling in love with that part of the country.
0: Wow. At what point living abroad into that, did you make the jump to be a facilitator? Was it like a year in, or you were living there for a couple months, you decided, or you went there specifically?
5: No. So, my it ended up being about a month in. Um, so I, I had oh, wow. the month at Spanish school and kind of knew I would have the intention of, um, you know, I, I was in Colombia. I was okay, I'll make my way either north or south. I was kind of figuring out as I went, um. And that's when in, this was late 2017, uh, in December of that year, um, and ended up going to Quito and doing the training to be a facilitator, uh, in Ecuador. So that was pretty quick turnaround from there. So I had the training there. Then I actually went home back to the States for Christmas time, um, and did, uh, another type of training. I did a yoga teacher training, um, oh, yeah, for a month, cool. uh, I think when on your trip i think we probably did a couple
0: classes i remember Um, doing one almost if we didn't have an activity like Wayusa in the morning then yeah 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 Yeah. yoga i think did four of them
5: but there was an activity like all day
0: so yeah yeah that was interesting yeah cool so it was right away and you took was half of the taking spanish spanish lessons sorry was that with the intent of trying to? Devin Kershaw doesn't believe in regret. I don't actually believe in the world
6: regret. So that's, nice. that's because I think like you make choices and I, I trust the choices. I trust the choices I made there. And then interesting in my life. And you know, the cards it's easy. Regret is easy because you can always have hindsight and look back and go like, if I would have done this, but like, yeah, yeah, Good. But I trust myself enough. I trust myself enough to think that, like, if I could go back in time with the information I had at that mm-hmm. moment, there's a reason why I made that decision. I, if I could jump in the DeLorean and and take a time machine back in time and and do that choice again, but with all the knowledge I had at that time, I, I'm pretty sure I'd make the same decisions too. Yeah. Wow. So, so, so really, that leaves very little room for regret, you know? Because. Nice. Yeah. There's not a lot of choices. There's a lot of choices I wish I'd made differently, mm-hmm. but I made them with the information I had at the time. And, yeah. and, you, got, and you got to kind of trust those decisions or else life right. is pretty miserable.
0: <laughs> yeah. No kidding. It's easy to go back and go, well, what if I did this? Or if I had yeah. the game of what if never, it's never ending and you end up in yeah. like a really miserable, miserable pit.
6: Yeah, totally. Comeback, and you so. didn't do it. And and it's not about yeah. what if you had choices, you made choices and, and, mm-hmm. you know, um, we can't go back in time and, and redo Redo do those choices with what we know 10 years in the future or five years in the future. Like, that's just not, that's just not how this works. So it's a, it's a waste of energy. I think.
0: Fair. That's fair. That's a, that's an interesting way of looking at it. There's not believing in regret. So now with that being said, though, kind of bouncing off that, do you have, um, cause you did touch on it briefly where you said you have like times where you're like, ah, if I look, ah, oh, I disappointed at the end of the race or whatever, or felt really good but do you have a most memorable and least memorable or least favorite uh, time from uh? it could be like just an elite level event. Like it could be a world championships. It could be an Olympic games. Like it could be whether like a team or a U performance, like at least in a favorite one.
6: Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, I don't know about a favorite performance necessarily, but like, I, I got like one of the, what, I was actually left with, with feeling like what, like what if that was those, what if feelings didn't, huh. at the end of 2010, you know, like, when the Olympics were all said and done in Vancouver, Mm -hmm. you know, I I thought, I thought our, our team in general made some, made some big mistakes. Like, I mean, we fired a coach in at the end of the, like in the spring of 2009 Mm -hmm. and hired a new coach that had never worked with me or our team before. before, Yeah. 10 months before the Olympics, like this this is ridiculous. And there was a lot of, you know, A lot of energy wasted with like some training camp organization, like, um, you know, people were a little bit frustrated that you know we didn't feel like some of the training camps were communicated effectively, and we had different ideas. We thought we fitness should be a lifestyle, not a hobby.
4: Hygiene and appearance, putting clothes on when you go out the door. I always found it strange when I meet somebody and I'm like, oh, like what kind of things are you into? They're like, oh, like I like going to the gym. I'm like. That's not an interest. That's a necessary step. We don't hunt and gather anymore. We don't get to spend all day doing hard work. We don't have a lot of farms. We sit our asses at desks all day long, and then we sit our asses in a car, and then we go to sit to recover from all the sitting that we did. You better be in the gym. So at least take ownership over your experience and master it as much as you can. And it's not complicated. It really isn't. Especially now when we have Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, you can learn all of the anatomy. Everything, class, right? Um, you can you, like YouTube University is like a joke over now, here. right? And figure everything I need out ever. And here. that's all it takes. You Ridiculous. don't. You don't have to take a master's anatomy class to understand how the lats work. No, but buddy, when you start to understand how muscles interact with the movement and what you should be feeling, you are immediately in the top five percent of aptitude in the gym because everyone else floating around guessing they do the stevie wonder they walk in and they just sort of look for a machine that's available and then they go do it they don't know what it's for it's they're not programming anything you know they do cardio all day long they lose 30 pounds the first week they think that they've made the new diet they don't realize they just sweat out all of this water and they're just going to be gaining weight this week so yeah master your craft and take health and fitness seriously because we're conditioned to focus so much on money you know you have to have a job you got to have six and six uh, figure salary get your RSPs get your TFSAs don't forget to get your dividends on like all this stuff doesn't matter if you're sick and broken yeah it just doesn't if you don't have health you don't have wealth it doesn't matter Interesting. I like that concept so master it young <laughs> own it for life don't make it a hobby make it the same as getting eight hours of sleep drinking enough water mm-hmm. this is the stuff we talk about investing money in stocks and collecting dividends. Dividends are great, money's irrelevant. We oh, live in a time oh, where money basically shit. doesn't
0: mean shit. Yeah, which is incorrect.
4: Yeah, it's been a small business owner. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, yeah. you know, if you had $100 in the year 1900 and you kept it in your bank account, it's worth two bucks today, right? Inflation, people are yeah. printing money. The real dividends in life are the decisions that we make for our health. Because mm-hmm. if money goes down, let's say tomorrow money doesn't exist, it's going to go back to survival of the fittest. And you bet your ass the people who hack darts, chronically eat McDonald's, get four hours to sleep a night, uh, drink way too much to alcohol. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. Dude, it's bad as we're slugging down monsters, yeah. but I regret nothing. Like <laughs> none at all. Now, one thing you mentioned, I want to throw in. Uh, you say you're like, oh, there's like a thing where, oh, I have bad knees. while I'm fifty, right? It almost, with that attitude, comes. If you're in your twenties, right, you didn't say that, right? You're not like, oh, if you're in your twenties wow, it's okay, I'm twenty. It's kinda of the opposite, right? And you might find this to be true as well, where you're almost not allowed to be sore or injured or tired in your twenties. Well like you're not allowed, it seems. Like that's kind of what going off of what you said with that stuff with the thirties, oh well, I got bad a bad shoulder or a bad hip. Well I'm in my forties, I'm working at that, right? There's those excuses that are paired with the age. Becoming a Carmelite brother,
7: and I still got one of the guys I made friends at school in Chicago. His name's Will. Uh, he was a Franciscan, so he left too, and I played D and D online with him. So that's so hilarious. That's yeah. Still got that oh, connection. There's a little bit of connections. You know, that's so funny. Yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, still play D and D with
7: him. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's so funny. Right on. And then uh, the next year I was in New York. That's called the novitiate. So that was a little bit more intense. Mm-hmm. And you don't have much going on. It's kind of like you have to focus like on yourself. Novitiate? Novitiate. Novitiate. So like the oh, yeah. the, the process is you're a pre-novitiate. Like you, you're a candidate, so yeah. you kind of visit. to get to know them. You're a yep. pre-novitiate, and then you're a novice. And, mm-hmm. and then after you're novice, you take your vows. So I left just before. I finished my novitiate, but I didn't take my vows. I left before taking vows. Okay. So you take three vows. Poverty, chastity, obedience. So three vows you take. So, you it's a different world. cycle. Of, yeah. Yeah. Or each so,
0: phase or chapter of development. I so guess. you like
7: living them without taking them to see if you can do it. And then you take temporary vows. So you take a vow for a year and then you take permanent vows after you've done it a few times and then think you're ready. Yeah, it's kind of a big process. So I left uh, early-ish on, yeah. but still draw from it a lot. That's awesome. Now, what I want to know then...
0: With that being said, in that time frame, from your life, right, like the time in the U.S., going through being, as you said, a monk. Or
7: I, it's not, I wasn't technically a monk. Like, there's like the more a monk is like you're in a monastery. I say dude so. nun because like people know what a nun is, but they don't know what the dude version is, which is a brother. Yeah. Okay. So I say dude nun just because like. Okay, so your time being a kind of like dude a monk, dude nun. Yeah. So <laughs> just the slang, you know. It's, it's, it's a different world. Like, I don't want, that's why I don't want to go too into it. Cause I could easily <laughs> spend a lot of time talking about that. Right. Right. I, mean. I don't mind touching on it, but.
0: So my one question then. Sure. Yeah. Um, what was, at least about this, um, from that time period being a dude, none. Yeah. <laughs> um,
7: Carmelite brother is the other one. the technical term. Yeah, that's
0: yeah. the, that, that, word didn't resonate with me right away. So I yeah. it went over my head. Unfortunately, sure. But sure. So, um, your time being a, a Carmelite brother, um, you had probably a crazy amount of experiences and challenges. But I'd like to know what was the biggest challenge you faced during that time period, and then your favorite experience oh. from that time frame. I'm going can break those up.
7: Yeah. Um. So the toughest challenge Well sort of the. I guess the best was once again. I think the studies. You know mm-hmm. the people I met. Yeah. Um. The f- some I made some really good lifelong connections there and the studies my philosoph- philosophy education that really stuck yeah. with me because I'm nice. an academic and so mm-hmm. I got to study for free like they paid my studies which is cool that's right? so cool so I got yeah. philosophy studies paid by them and so you take a vow of poverty uh, yeah. but you don't have anything but you don't want for anything mm-hmm. you know so you're not like poor you hear poverty you think like you're living with nothing it's yeah, just you like you your, your simplicity <laughs> it's, it's a more misconception more. For yeah exactly um so it's in my studies, which I still really draw from. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, my philosophy studies really formed well, my mindset, and right. so that probably be the, the strongest. And then, um, you know, I guess maybe why I went there was like I said, I couldn't do this as a living, and yeah. I was working in the soup kitchen. So being a brother was my way of doing it as a living, I guess. Right? Yeah. So that's cool. That's an interesting way of doing it. Yeah. Just try having your cake and eating it too. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the toughest part was the next year because it was it was isolated. It was really isolated. Uh, the second year And it was a little more Like monastic in style And like This sounds insane But like I, like If you haven't guessed it yet Like I'm an extreme guy when I want to go into something I want to do it to the max um, So we had to do 40 days of silence That was The hardest thing I've possibly ever had to do It's like I don't think we're meant For that as human beings it Kind of broke me a bit Yeah definitely Yeah Yeah Yeah, yeah. I, It kind of Messed me up a bit If I'm being honest And I was like I'm not a quitter So I'm like I'm, I'm in, you know? Yeah, <laughs> no way. It messed me up. We're not meant for that. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, we had geez. moments, like dinner, we could talk, and like, we weren't supposed to have electronics. Like, it was intense. Like 40 days of that, you know? So that, that's the, that was the toughest. And it was kind of dark and difficult and lonely. And, uh, you know, I wasn't a prisoner because it was my own choice. Right. But it felt that way. Yeah. Because I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. Like, I couldn't. So I left there, leaving that, having spelt, felt like extreme loneliness. Because if you're yeah. silent, you're not talking to anyone,
1: it's extreme loneliness, yeah, you're right? you're fighting with your thoughts.
7: And so, like, I don't know, it made me think, like, solitary confinement. Like, that's, that's just messed up, you know? Yeah. People are meant for that. But mine wasn't the same because, like I said, I, I was free to leave if I wanted to, when yeah. I wanted to. I kind of just saw it as a stepping stone. But, like, I yeah. left after that because, like I said, that was too much for me. Uh-huh. Um, but also that led to me like going to visit prisons and stuff because I'm like, I made me think of people in solitary confinement doing that stuff, like that's messed up or like the loneliness people must feel there. Um, you know, I've done a bunch of stuff and I kind of had like a different burnout again, you know, mm-hmm. twice, you know, we figured I'd learn the first time but the second time was uh, I'd say an empathy burnout and mm-hmm. I think those 40 days kind of fucked me up if I'm being honest. Yeah. Or, uh, they kind of messed with me quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but like when you're wearing this piece of clothes, you got this brown robe you know, you look like a Jedi a bit. It's amazing the immediate trust that people put in you. It is absolutely insane. And so people will come up to you wow. randomly and just tell you their deepest, darkest secrets, the worst shit they've ever done, the most traumatic stuff they've ever experienced. Like, it's a piece of clothes, but to them it's a symbol. And it's it's insane. It is absolutely insane. It's humbling, because you got to be careful, because that's a lot of power, you know? And, like, I was uncomfortable with that amount of power, if I'm being honest. Um... Zach's crazy experience with
0: suicide that what is an example of something that comes to mind when I say like a challenging thing like it's kind of been like there you go Zach oh man like so like I don't know how deep you go like oh you can go as deep as you want, as you get, want man, like, dude it's your show so, so, so
8: when I was um I finished my second year university No. Yeah. like I passed everything but I knew that like I was just like yeah this is not it like I wanted like I'm just not feeling it, right? Yeah. So I was, like, kind of deciding to go to kind of making the switch over to college. Um, that summer, like, basically between, like, me leaving university, like, finishing mm-hmm. exams and then, like, jumping into college at Cameron. Uh, so my mom had been dealing with depression for, Jeez. looking back on it, probably a really, really long time. Yeah. But, like, at the time, it was three months, right? Yeah. Like. So my mom was like um she was a school teacher and then she eventually became like a principal. Um which is a fairly like it's a high stress job and she was like at like basically like an end of town that was a very rough area. Like mm-hmm. just a lot of just a lot of issues where you know you've got a lot of people that are struggling themselves where it was just she took on a lot of work, right? Yeah. So I got home one night, my mom had been kind of, you know, Basically, like, severely depressed and, like, out of work where she was, like, actually, like, for the first time in my life, like, my mom didn't go to work. You know what I mean? Like, she had never even taken a sick day.
0: Yeah.
8: First, like, three months she's been off on, like, sick leave, essentially, right? I get home one day. um, I get a call from my dad, and he's like, hey, I'm just trying to get, like, get a hold of your mom. Like, do you want to just, like, see where she's at and shit, right? I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, yeah." cool, whatever. (laughs) So I, like, go down and basically try to, like, look for her phone or, like, see if there's anyone home because I, like, literally just pulled up, right? get inside, I like, where my parents' room was, was like, you'd walk into my house, there's like, a hallway to the right, and then a staircase to the basement. As soon as you got down the staircase to the right, is like my parents' room. Mm -hmm. So I like, run downstairs, I like, open the door, I'm like, I'm I'm still on the phone with my dad, I'm like, no, she's not here, like, I don't know what to tell you. He's just like, okay, well just like, you see, if you just like if she left a note or like because yeah. she, she was supposed to go to like some friend's place for like a fucking Zumba class or some shit, right? Like it was like some random shit. Yeah. Like, my, apparently, she really did not want to go to this Zumba class. No. So I walked into <laughs> my mom's room, and then like when I turned the corner, like my mom had committed suicide, so she was hanging like from her bedroom ceiling. So obviously, like I'm 20, 20, 20 or 21 at the time. Like. And, like, I had a very sheltered life as a kid, like, in the sense where, like, I had family members that had been going through struggles, but my parents always kind of kept me and my brother out of it, right? Like, where it was, like, there was just, like, something wrong. But we never addressed it. Like, I didn't know what, like, mental health was. I didn't know what depression was until I saw, like, my mom getting sick. And then I definitely didn't know what the fuck suicide was until I walked in and my mom was hanging from her ceiling, right? So, like, that's a huge experience. Like, especially, like I said, being a very sheltered kid where, like... I didn't drink for the first time until I was, like, probably, like, 16 or 17 because I, like, managed to, like, sneak out. Maybe, yeah. Fi- yeah, maybe 16, let's say. right? like, I was an older kid. Like, I was, like, yeah. let's say, like, a late bloomer when it came to, like, life experiences, yeah. right? But then it was, like, I got punched in the face. Yeah, right away. Right, like, right away. Right, so it was a big shock. That's a, that's a big punch in the face, man. Yeah, so, like, you know, not exactly the... Uh, like I said, she just really didn't want to go to wisdom class, but, uh, who can blame her? Um, but yeah, like it was <laughs> like, again, like I said, like a really, uh, non, like
7: oh, I was sheltered. So I knew
8: there was something up. I knew there was something like wrong with my mom where I was like, oh, she's not feeling good. Well, right. like even like eight years ago. Mental health wasn't, like, something people talked about like it is now.
2: No, it's a lot more
8: at the forefront of what we do. It's a lot more prominent now because a lot more people are suffering from it. But, like, at the time when it happened, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, to me, it was like suicide was something crazy people did. My mom wasn't crazy, right? Like, that's how I felt at the time. was like, oh, like, what the fuck is going on, right? So, like, my whole, yeah, like, whole world just got shattered, essentially, because, like, everything I thought I understood was, like, gone right now. As you would expect when somebody that close to you kind of passes away. (laughs) Yeah, A lot of people in my family reacted in very different ways. Mm
9: -hmm.
8: And there was a point where, like, I really had to, like, distance myself from certain people for my own well-being. Where it was just not necessarily, like, just for my own mental. It was, like, I was dealing with shit, again, not necessarily in a good way, but the way I dealt with shit. It's, Mm -hmm. like, I kind of just, like, I got really into my work. I got really into just, like, training, working out. Because it was, like, essentially it was, like, I could work out. Or I could go get hammered or do a shit ton of drugs or, like, do anything to try to, like, forget. Get out of it, yeah, be present. So it was, like, I chose exercise. I, you know, for years I still do, like, I wreck my body on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. right? A part of that is, like, yeah, I've gotten better at it, but, like, a lot of it is, like, you know, it was a way to escape. It was a way. Yeah. It was like it was total escapism, where it was just like I don't want to fucking have to deal with this shit. So if I'm at the gym Jeez, with my buddy yeah. till fucking one o'clock in the morning because we're doing fucking chest presses, like you know what I mean, I'll take it, right? Yeah. Um, but then, like over time, it was like when you when you go through that type of shit, and like I said, like my whole world got shattered. I had to distance myself from a lot of people that I was originally close with, just mm. because I didn't like the way they were coping with shit, and I my had to own cope own. with shit in my own way.
10: Yeah.
8: So I basically went from being like a super sheltered kid to like. I'm on my own. Yeah, and exposed for a out. lot. Yeah. moved doubt, I'm gone, working on my own, trying to pay bills wow. by myself. Like, Nice. And, like, 20 is not, like, you're not young, but, like, I'm also not, like, I was not nearly as mature as I am now, you know what I'm saying? Like, I had some yeah. shit I had yeah, not I'm figured out, out of, right? Yeah, yeah like, sure. uh, like, you know what I mean? So, like,
0: I fucked up a lot. It's not young, but it's not old enough to be, like... Old enough mm-hmm. where you could be making those, you're not already doing that. Yeah. You know what exactly. I mean? And you're like, hey, you have this I stepped choice into now. Into it because yeah. It was you like, step into it because you fuck, had to. Right. Like, yeah.
8: Yeah, shit.
0: So, like, for me, one of the things, and again, like,
8: I use movement as a way to train for that, or like, to, uh, as like a metaphor for a lot of like the stuff that happens in life because it was like, it's the same processes. Eventually, yeah. once you break it down, like, how did you, you know, how you move on and kind of cope, not necessarily cope, but, like, how do you, Cause I don't like the word cope. Cause to me, like cope is just like, I'm dealing with it. And yeah, to think. me, it's like, how do I excel from it? Right. I like that. I it's a like horrible, it's a horrible thing that yeah, happens, but, but it's, like, it's a mind shift. Like it's a mindset. And mm-hmm. like
10: hmm.
8: everyone who is like in their And like I use successful as like, what is successful to that person? Anyone mm-hmm. who accomplishes their vision of what they deem as being successful. Nobody just does it. <laughs> There's, there has to be some kind of trigger, right? There's yeah. something that makes that person go, fuck it i'm gonna go for it right some people it's like and it's not like one trauma is better or worse it's just like everyone has to go through what
0: their personal trauma would be or their personal right now everybody needs a family member to die yeah elisa's crazy peru story ever been to lima
11: yeah actually i flew into lima um and i had a whole fiasco the first time i I went to peru um well, I went to take a flight and this is my first time traveling picture like 18 year old Elise waiting in to get my ticket printed for yeah. the flight. Cause you didn't have these like cell phone check-ins. Uh, it wasn't, it was like, Oh, it was a little bit of time ago. Um, <laughs> and my passport got stolen. Come on. Yeah. So I was standing oh, in no. Buffalo airport. So I wasn't even in Canada And my passport was stolen and all of the money that I had to do this trip in Peru. What? Yeah. Oh, how does that happen? I know. I know. So somehow by the grace of whatever, um, I was able to get back over the border with my mom and uh, get a new passport and get to get a new flight and figure out how I was going to get to Lima. So I ended up getting to Lima really, really early in the morning. And as an 18-year-old female solo traveler,
2: you
11: you try not to get places at, you know, anytime at like 1 a.m. or later. uh, Because the streets are dark. You don't really know where you're going. There's a lot of like assumptions about like a solo female going around. Um, And I probably looked like a baby. I probably had big wide eyes and was, you know, just such a target. But everything ended up being fine. However... Uh, I had booked a equivalent of like a limo to get me to where I was staying that night so that I could meet up with the group that I was traveling with Yeah, and got into this thing, prepaid for it. I was the only one and there was the driver. Yeah. The driver got lost, pulled over to the side of the road in the middle of nowhere in a neighborhood to like call his buddy.
0: That's so terrifying.
11: So scary. (laughs) So scary. Um, of course, I don't speak the language. I didn't really understand what was going on. But and you don't have service. You don't yeah. have anything like that. I couldn't figure out where I was. I have learned a lot from this moment. However, this was a good introduction to traveling alone.
0: Yeah, and like what can go wrong?
11: Yeah, yeah. Oh, so eventually, the, the driver figured out where where he needed to take me, and, oh, and no. me there, and it was fine, and I got there, and great no problems whatsoever yeah. but there was there was a good you know 10 minutes of time there where I was like I don't know why he's calling someone and I don't know what's gonna happen this you know what I have no idea and this is by this time it's like you know 1 30 in the morning so okay. huh
0: yeah middle of the night not even morning yet that's oh yeah. my see in a,
11: heard... in a city in a country I've never been in
0: yeah language you don't speak isn't that your job to know where you're going as a driver like the one thing you need to do in order to be a good driver and like the minimum requirement should be know where the end destination is
11: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. weird yeah I oh. don't know I feel like I feel like in some places there are just so many little streets and alleyways that have addresses that you just wouldn't really go to necessarily but I mean Yeah, it was, it was a scary circumstance to say the least.
0: No kidding. So then with the, I like that though. That's funny that the first attempt to Peru, you didn't even make it. You had to go back and then redo it. And then, oh my, oh no.
11: Yeah, that was my introduction. It was my introduction (laughs) to traveling is how stressful it can be. Um, I learned pretty quick that, you know, you have to really take care of yourself. You can't rely on other people when you travel necessarily. Um, And that's really freeing in a lot of ways because Mm. you always know where your own stuff is. You're never having to worry about someone else. And you you kind of fend for yourself. And I'm not saying Mm. that in like a everything is terrible kind of way. I'm just saying it as a, you know, you're responsible for your own thing. And I think when you live in like the society that we live in, You don't necessarily always have to fend for yourself. There's always something that you can, you can get some help from a friend. If you have roommates, if you have a partner, if you have parents or something, but I was really in a situation where I had literally nowhere else that I could fend. I could ask for help. Um, and that's how, that was my introduction basically to travel. And I think it was a good introduction because everything ended up being fine, but, uh, it, it kind of colored in, in a good way. Um, what I felt was my responsibility to myself to keep myself safe, to keep myself informed of where I needed to go moving forward.
0: Interesting. So then wow, that's really cool. That's really cool. That's a pretty sweet story. Yeah. Wow. So wow, because I was gonna ask what when you think of Peru, what is one thing that sticks out to you from that experience? But sounds like you answer that question just with that. Like that's that's crazy. Unless oh, there actually, is one thing.
11: No, actually, that's not really what stands out to me. Usually that's, really? what, I, that's what I'll that's what i tell. Like, I mean, that's a good story. You got to get at that, yeah. right? But usually when I think of Peru, I think of the trek that I did. So when you go to Peru, a lot of people do the Inca Trail, yeah. right? And everybody knows about the Inca Trail. Yeah, well, you have to book that thing so far in advance. Like Machu Picchu? So- yeah, to get to yeah. Machu Picchu to do that because they only allow a certain amount of people on the trail, and you're only makes allowed sense. to do so many people in Machu Picchu at a time. Um, all those things. I mean, it makes sense for safety reasons, for like conservation reasons, yeah, that's of a huge course. One. Yeah. I just didn't get that option, so I did another trek called the Laris Trek, and that trek I think it was four or five days, but it was just it wasn't as traveled there weren't as many people on that trek oh, that's um, but cool. it was but it was very similar like beautiful scenery and hard trails um we did have porters to and and people cooking for us when we went to all these different places so it was quite luxurious wow. um and we'd, we'd have like our tent set up when we got to the end of the area and there was there was altitude and there was you know these there's rain and cold and beautiful sunshine uh, but that was hard it was really hard but it was one of the more beautiful things I've ever done and that was probably where I found my love for trekking in other countries and trekking and as in hiking camping yeah. um staying in 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 like chalets or or bunky type situations while you mm-hmm. were going because you see a totally different side of the countries that you're in. A lot of time people, people travel and they see cities and the, the countryside and the, the wilderness is where you meet a lot of really cool people. You have really good conversations with people from other places.
0: What's um, that you can remember, maybe if not from that one, but uh, from all your kind of experiences, overseas or down south or south of the border south of the border um mm-hmm. what is one that not maybe that you've experienced but one that you've heard somebody say or story that somebody's told you or a lesson that they've learned or gone through that is stuck with you that just takes the cake at the top
11: mm. that's a toughie I'm not really sure. There were so many different stories. I think what really stands out to me as a general thing is people would tell me about the experience that they had going the places that I was about to go. So so often when you're traveling in hostels or guest houses, wherever it might be, I mean, you run into other travelers that speak English and you ask them about where they've been, where they're going.
0: Pat visits a Holocaust site. What's your trip to Austria and like throughout Europe like?
12: Oh man, bonkers man. Yeah? Balonies dude.
0: Yeah. I couldn't believe it.
12: So my friend Caro got a pro contract after she graduated University of Ottawa.
0: Damn, good for her.
12: And like we were playing beach volleyball together all summer and she's like, Oh, I got a pro contract. I'm leaving for Austria. I'm like, what? Alright, cool girl, let's go. <laughs> good for you. Let's." And then yeah, we're, we're, we're chatting. Her boyfriend is a seasonal worker and he's like oh i'm gonna go see you when like the season ends because the he's a he has like an agriculture farm yep so he's like okay well the the christmas tree ends at this time you're gonna take the plane. i'm gonna be with you for like from christmas to april that's sick and he went out in austria did a lot of skiing and like the alpines Mm -hmm. And and i'm like this is cool Let's do the trip. Sick. Yeah. And we we haven't seen each other. She basically when she she left for Austria, my girlfriend and I left for Sudbury. Most of our friends were still in Ottawa at the time. They're still in Ottawa. But we're like, okay, we've got to make a trip out there. Of course, one hundred percent. Make the trip yeah. and then we they her and her boyfriend her and her boyfriend basically give us the trip like around Innsbruck in Austria. Yeah. Have you okay. been? Okay. I've been Could, to Vienna. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Man, Amazing, you, yeah. Okay. You went to Vienna. Did you seen Have you watched a, uh, an opera? No, I haven't. Oh, no. dude. Okay. Yeah. So, so we basically Austria. We did Innsbruck. We saw her game in like Klagenfurt. Yeah. Hallstatt, from Frozen, which was a beautiful city. Nice. Um, yeah, okay. We did Munich, Vienna, yeah. and then we did Luzell in Switzerland. Nice. Oh, that's sick. Yeah, I've and never been there. Vienna, but Vienna, we were all here, walking on the lap like the whole shopping mall and we're like that's sick we get someone hustles us for like an opera okay i'm like guys it's either a fuck yes or a fuck no
0: yeah we're either 100 percent down or we're not doing it. and i'm like
12: nah it's i'm like uh yeah my friends are like okay we're doing it i'm like okay i'm gonna follow okay if you're in dude yeah nice i'm like this the whole time just in awe dude Oh, man. What's going on? What's going on, man? And, like, I'm kind of, like, very fascinated by skill and people perfecting their craft. Yeah. Man, there's someone, like, on the violin, like, sizzling that violin, like, crazy. I was just like... That's insane. What the... Oh, yo, for two hours, man. I couldn't believe it. That's wild. Oh, man. Couldn't believe it. That's sick. But... The trip was so cool, man. Like, you see such a different... And, like, it made me appreciate so much more what we have in Ontario. So we did yeah, that trip. We did that trip. We were, and it's basically like we were traveling, walking around with our friends, and like shenanigans every day to see, and like travel, which was yeah. great. It's the way to go. And with basically no plans, small
0: ideas of what we wanted to do. That's perfect because I think the way I'm similar to what it sounds like you are when you're when you're overseas or traveling anywhere really new. That's not where you were born. Is and even I try to do it a bit here, but it's tough here, right? Especially where you grew up. But it's... um, When you don't have a plan, it means anything can happen. Yeah. Right? But if you're like, no, it's... We can't go watch the opera. We got... We got this reservation at the...
12: Relax. Just... Just go see, you know? And, and it was weird, because it was my first time taking the plane across the ocean. Oh, jeez. And I'm like... Okay, cool. Yeah, let's go. And... Easy. <laughs> we just basically had no plans. Had a good time. And it was definitely like just breathtaking yeah. like from what we saw and like I, you were in Germany right? You said?
0: Yeah um, there was a I saw a places, of a bridge a picture of a bridge breathtaking Yeah that was in uh, that was in Germany yeah, yeah it was close to uh, close to Austria yeah
12: cause uh, I'm not good with maps um, have you like we went to see uh, like so many cool experiences like to experience with friends but you're also like Oh my god! This this is actually a real thing. We yeah. saw a concentra- we visited a concentration camp.
13: No, what and was man, that
12: like, dude, couldn't walk, couldn't walk. Like you don't mm-hmm. like, so, I couldn't walk. I was so emotional.
0: Oh yeah, like
12: okay. it just like that way. Yeah, th- my gut felt. I was like, oh my god, what the
0: hell? This is mean? intense. Like that's real. It's real. It's like real. you, you listen, you read
12: books, you re- history class, and you're like, oh god, this is actually a real, real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's crazy. Yeah the all-pro was like and then you have like, yeah like the, my trip is basically three things like the game seeing her her yeah. game that was all really oh, cool. i can imagine and because we were going That's to sick. see her play at ottawa u and we just get blasted and just chirp people and yelled, yeah like what fans are doing yeah then we watched her, so that was really cool to get back to the, the roots of the Like, Frenchie. to do that, except in
6: Austria? Yeah! Like like, oh That's insane!
12: Then, uh, the opera was really wild. Yeah? The, um, That's sick. The concentration camp was a very big eye-opening on, like, gratitude more, like, be grateful for what you have, yeah. and See, seek out opportunity. try to, like, have a bit more reflection of things. Cool. That's and cool Lucerne was, like, uh, Lucerne, we were there at the same time as the carnival. Nice. Like a very, very traditional carnival, and we're like, oh my god, this is lit. Yeah. Eh, but very, very, like, incredible. I don't know for you, for, like, I just, I was just yeah. like, came on and I'm like, this was wild. That was the best experience of
0: my life. Will's 24-hour straight paddle on Lake Ramsey. With that being said, um take me through kind of the paddle for purpose now. Yeah. Like, let's get into that. How did that kind of... Why own a paddleboard, dude? Yeah. Like, like, take me through the beginning <laughs> of that process. From the idea and a thought in your mind. Yeah. To, or somebody's mind. To you completing it and
10: raising money and awareness. It's funny because the stand-up paddleboard itself, when you just think about why I chose that. I had a couple of ideas in mind. Maybe a uh, triathlon, mm-hmm. 24-hour race, this and that. And then all of a sudden, like, I was actually working on a plan of a, a bike, a run, a yes. kayak. Yeah. And then I just had this idea and I just went, no, I'm changing this and I'm doing a 24 hour straight stand up paddle board. <laughs> and I went, you don't know why is because when someone would look at that, mm-hmm. they would go, you're doing what? And it would draw that much more attention towards what I was doing. Right. Because I think that there were so many question marks and people would be so much more interested for sure because of what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and paddle of purpose, um, Started because um, my brother in law, uh, Mario, Mm -hmm. uh, he passed away from an extremely rare form of cancer back in 2019. So, this was a guy that was 33 years old at the time, way too young, healthy as can be didn't smoke a cigarette, barely oh, drank, the worked worst, out football dude. player. He was... No! Awful. Yeah, he was... He, he, and he was... So and you, we talk about, like, bright lights in people's lives. He was the brightest Definition light in anyone's lives. Guy. He was the guy that made me, like, that <sighs> made me look bad at my own home because he's getting up in the morning and mowing my dad's grass at, at the oh, lake God. or whatever it's doing. He's always Epic. has a smile on his face even when he was going through his cancer. That's and um, when he passed away, um, I had... An idea in mind that I wanted to do something in his memory. And the best way that I could do that was something fitness oriented because it was a passion of mine. And I wanted to do something where I could bring positive change because that's all he ever did. So I discussed with my sister about an organization called CORD, the Canadian Mm -hmm. Organization for Rare Disorders, which basically no one knows about. Sure. um like about 95 96% <laughs> of the people that I talked to when I discussed my yeah. own purpose didn't know what the organization was was and that's why this was so important yeah. so I put together the plan um and started training and, um you know, I start. I, as soon as that ice broke on Ramsey Lake, I was in there. Yeah. Like, ooh, hey, like late March, early April. I, I mean, did. the cold plunges made me not so scared because we Dude, do those anyway. Yeah, for sure. But I was on there and the paddle people are on the boat. They're like, are you crazy? They're fishing out there. I'm off doing my paddling. And their sweats. Yeah, they're, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm just in my wet Amazing. suit paddling. Um, and... I, we did the TV promos I did social media campaigns. I did a lot of work, had some great sponsors involved as well that helped push the mm-hmm. message. I um, actually got to go on national TV on the morning That's show sick. and to talk about it, which, that, was, which yeah. was really special for me. Um, not only was that special for the fact that it was able to get that word out there, but mm-hmm. in, in my career, that's, 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 huge. that's, that's the that's top dream. that it goes, right? That's the yeah, dream. For sure. Um, that's sick so, especially doing it for something like that. Exactly. Yeah. And I was so passionate about it because it was so meaningful to me. Um, so power first was created, yeah. did the training four times a week on the water, five times in the gym. And then the day came and it was, it was one of the most, if not will be the most incredible experience I've ever been ah, in my amazing. life. For multiple reasons, Um, there was so much built-up energy and emotions for seven months, you know, the training, the thinking about what it's for. And and I'm an emotional guy, and Mario and I were extremely close. So Mm. I was able to see through that paddle the support that I had through my family, through my friends here, Mm -hmm. through companies um, that provided the boat money, whatever it would be. Yeah. Remaco was providing me with like the board, you know, nice. like all these companies that stepped up and understood my purpose. Mm-hmm. People like Matt and Chris who came on the support boat, my girlfriend, Jerrica, who was mm-hmm. there throughout the 24 hours, Amazing. just the energy levels that were there and the amount of support that I saw gave me a, a new sort of feeling that i would never felt before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went through the paddle and I had people coming out on boats handing checks. People waving at their docks, waiting for me to go by. Epic. All lined up at Bell Park from yeah. the beginning, middle, and end, just waving, like giving their support. Yeah. Seeing the total money that was raised, and so then always going up, yeah. oh, going up and um, and just seeing how just doing that fundraiser could positively impact this world, and seeing that the community come as a whole, mm-hmm. just showed the true power of what we can do when we yeah. want to do something. Positive like that in this world and that was it was so powerful to me to see the impact that you can have especially when you're working together um, yeah. and, and that was the biggest thing for me and there was a few moments on that paddle I think it was at hour 18 19 when I was paddling you know, and we had a lot of fun. The boat had, like, a slide on it. The support boat people were going on and off of that. But there was, like, this window between about, like, 18 and, and 21, 22 hours where I got into this groove where I was just thinking about Mario and paddling. And, and, and given the year that we've had, it's been COVID is everywhere. All this, all these things are going all on. The There's so on. much going on in your, in, in your mind for those three hours.
13: Mm-hmm.
10: Nothing else mattered in the entire world except for the paddle and Mario. And looking across at the boat, I could see Pat and my girlfriend Jerrica, and they were staring at me. And for three hours, there wasn't a word said. And we all shared that energy for the moment. And it was intense. It was so intense. And they could feel what I was feeling without having to say anything. And it was just paddling. It was just paddle. That's huge. Thinking about Mario. And it was. um, It's heavy. It is heavy. And it was extremely special. And that's a moment that we'll share. And then a couple hours later, everyone comes out. And I see all my friends and family. And mm-hmm. and as we're paddling in, um, there was a nasty surprise at the end. My, I didn't know my mom was going to be there. So my girlfriend had... No. Up with my mom. I know. Come so, on, dude. So there she is. That's and who you hug right out at the gate. Right out the gate. Right yeah. So I paddle, I'm paddling in. No. <laughs> and I actually don't even see her first. Okay? I don't even see her. I just hear a very distinct... And I'm like, You're like oh, you knew it I know how oh, and then I was keeping it together and then as soon as I heard that I just started bawling oh. like I I was I I lost it I was I was thought it was going to be okay and it was it was okay I love to feel my emotions and I got off the board and I just cried and I just hugged her And like to this day, I'll tell her those, that is like a special moment that we'll share for the rest of our lives. You can't buy that. No, you can't. You can't recreate that, nothing. No, and it it was, and it was amazing, man, like going through that, that whole experiencing and seeing the support and knowing the impact that I could have, like Mm -hmm. it was life changing.
0: Richard bikes 250 kilometers on his birthday. I don't even want to drive there and (laughs) I, I hear, I hear like you say you biked around it, and you did it for camp quality, correct? Not crazy? Okay. Yeah. So take me through the beginning of that. How did that kind
9: of come to fruition? Because that's epic. Um,
3: Hmm.
9: Let's say, let's go back a year. So I touched on the bike rides that I did did in Quarterbrook. I did a couple 100-kilometer bike rides. Yeah. And then that went dormant again and kind of down below. So last Hmm. year on my birthday... I said, i got to do something. I want to do something big. So I said, I'm going to go to Manitoulin Island, just me, just by myself. Nice. I believe I asked a few people, but on last minute's notice, not many people want to go bike 120 kilometers. No. So my previous personal best was 120. Nice. So it was my birthday, so a little over, probably, I guess a year and a half ago at this point, um, I went to Manitoulin Island by myself and mapped out a route. was 127, I believe, which was my personal best by about a kilometer, but I just wanted to beat it, just... Something new on my oh, birthday. Yeah.
12: Nice.
9: And then I just fell in love with riding on the island. So then this year, like, talking to Will about his, his paddle, about his yeah. challenges and things he was coming up with, I, yeah. I, I really want to do something. Nice. And then i like, you know what? I think I might bike around Manitoulin Island. And then I was looking <laughs> at the map, and like, I think I might bike around all of Manitoulin Island. you yeah, like,
0: okay, man, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do yeah, it. Yeah, like,
9: if I'm being honest, I like, it started as a very, not necessarily selfish. Like, I just wanted to do it just to do it. Mm-hmm. and then Matt approached me and said, you know, why don't you join on and help me out and and do this for Camp Quality? and he had definitely amazing. Hands down, no problem. Yeah. So, so I'm glad I was able to do that and help out yeah. Camp Quality. Um, and it definitely gave me an extra push just thinking yeah, about that. I can imagine. Um, so, yeah, I thought about that and I mapped it out. And being from Newfoundland, I love the island because it feels feels a little closer to home in Yeah, there. versus just here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a little, eh? Yeah, a little <laughs> bit closer. Amazing.
0: Michael is diagnosed at birth with IPEC syndrome.
2: I mean is that when we were born, we were diagnosed to a rare disease. And this disease was called IPEC syndrome. Now, at the time, there was only 2 out of 50 cases worldwide. So we were 2 out of 50 cases... Come on! ...worldwide, yes. And because of that, they had no clue to what to do with us. And... There's no one to blame here, but we were told I wouldn't be able to walk, I wouldn't be able to talk, I wouldn't be able to eat, I shouldn't go to grade school, high school, shouldn't be around people. So the way I come about it yeah. is I want you to think of COVID, okay? Okay. I want you to think of COVID right now, Gross. but times 20. Gross. And that was our life, me and my brother's life. In terms of like restrictions? Restrictions, isolation. Come isolations. on,
0: dude. Yes.
2: Yes. No. Yes. To the point of where I was that guy and me and my brother were that guy where we would go to school
10: yeah.
2: and they'd have to Lysol our deaths. And then they'd have to, we'd have to wear masks sometimes because if someone else in the classroom was sick, they weren't sure if our immune system could fight it. So therefore, it was a risk to even go to school. Right, because there's so little yes, like, research or whatever on yes. it. And so to go to the core of what the disease was yeah. and the reason why I brought up COVID mm-hmm. was because Our disease basically replicated that our immune system Mm -hmm. wasn't functioning normally. Right. So if we got a cold or if we got a sickness, instead of our immune system actually fighting it, Mm -hmm. we would actually hurt ourselves. Right. So it would be like a crisscross game where I would get a cold and that cold would multiply because my immune system wouldn't know what to do with it. And on top of this, we weren't taking care of ourselves either. Right. So during the time of having this disease... We were isolated all the time, so therefore, we didn't get out much, right? right? We also had other health issues that came across with this immune system issue mm-hmm. because our immune system was so weak, so it would actually create things like brain tumors, arthritis, epilepsy, um, chronic kidney disease, lung disease, pneumonia. I could I could do probably yeah. 30, 30 or 40 different kinds of symptoms or issues that our bodies would actually replicate. Because of bad lifestyle factors and also yeah. because of our immune system already being weak and the environment we would be in, right? Whoa. And so with this, we were isolated. Right. And we were like how COVID is right now. Yeah. For me, for 18 years. Yeah. And for my little brother, 10 years. And the thing I didn't mention was actually my little brother passed away at 10 years old. Yeah.
0: Patty survives two heart attacks.
14: Home, Trent was there and uh, Leslie was there and it was about it's uh, just about midnight and we were in bed. We we're watching a movie or something like that, and tired and went to bed. And I just I, I said I said, oh, I feel like I got some her bad heartburn right now, you know? It started right in the middle of my chest. Yeah. And it just like you ever put a thumbs in water and you see it fizzle, fizzle? That's yep. what it's feeling like in my chest with with, with a sharp pain a little bit, right? But oh. but it didn't it was weird, like it didn't um it, i didn't feel anything in my heart. You know what I mean? I felt it right here. I guess your heart is right across.
0: Yes, yeah.
14: But I felt it here, and then it kind of went up here a little bit. And I was started. I got out of the bedroom, went to my kitchen, and just started sweating and sweating and sweating. Like, I couldn't believe it. It was weirded me out a little bit to the point where I was outside on my... This was in March. Mm -hmm. It was on St. Patrick's Day, Saturday. Oh, geez.
0: 2019.
14: Yeah. Yeah, 2019, I think is what happened. Oh, wow. So... She comes out and she looks at me. And she says, I was gray, like gray, like this. Oh, jeez! And I didn't know though. And I'm, I'm up walking around, and, and the heart.
0: You can almost hear it out of your chest. And
14: now I know, right? Now I look at her. You know what? I didn't. I just didn't want to believe it. I knew what was happening to me. I just didn't want to believe it. And my son's bedroom door is right here, and this is our kitchen. Right? I'm like, Oh, Trentster can't see me like this. No. He was awake the whole time. Didn't come out. I couldn't believe it. I felt so bad. Anyways. C- call nine one one. She yeah. convinced I, I and I said to to Leslie, "I go, okay, you know, you like, better call, right?" But I didn't. I didn't want to call. Glenn.
1: <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to call. I'm
14: like, okay, I can, it's just Harper. It's just Harper, no. right? You know, it, it's like that testosterone oh, really and the man yeah, that's an that that ego you know, thing for sure. It's yeah. an, it's but not a cocky ego. No, thing. no, like, not like at all. A, no. It, it was like a I I, I can't this can't happen to me in yeah. front of my chick and my son. Yeah,
0: it's not how you want that. No. Yeah, All right. well, it's listen, tricky. whatever, if that's selfish thinking, whatever, but hey man, in that situation, you kind of got to be, right? I mean, you know, so, you so right but
14: also too, and that's, it comes to a point in those scenarios where you realize, you go, oh, okay, poo, I'm tapping out here, call 911, this, you, you get it and I got it. Yeah. So they get there huh. and I sit down, they take my blood pressure, I'm sitting on top of my coffee table, they've given me an aspirin, maybe two,
6: mm-hmm.
14: and I kind of calm down a bit. Right, I wasn't. My heart wasn't yeah. going crazy, um, but it was just the aspirin that had kicked in for a little bit. Yeah, I was actually still having a heart attack. So even though they took the blood pressure yeah. and all that, and it kind of it was a little wonky, but it wasn't.
9: Mm-hmm.
14: You know, they they I remember the uh, the paramedics. God bless them all. They were three of them. They were amazing. Nice. And um, they said, "Listen, Patty. Uh, yeah, I guess it kind of might have had maybe an anxiety attack, which I've never had. Um, I'm not not really prone to heartburn either. You know."
0: Mm-hmm.
14: But they kind of said that they would leave me in the house, but they were just—I think they were just saying that to me to appease me at the time. And they said, "Why don't you, why don't you come with us?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like 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 teasing a dog with a treat. You know, yeah. why don't you come with us? And just just to make sure. Well, sure enough, I go into my driveway.
9: Mm-hmm.
14: I die. They had to give me the paddles in my driveway. Come on, yeah. man! Yeah. yeah, flatlined. So so Trent and Leslie are in the house, and they're like, like what? Oh take us so long. Like they, they put him in the ambulance 15 minutes ago in my driveway.
4: Yeah.
14: I don't know this, right? I do remember this, though. I do remember this. He, the, uh, one of the paramedics, older guy, would uh, call him the Silver Fox. He was uh, an awesome yeah. dude. Nice. Um, and he, would, he was grabbing my hands where they put a needle in, they yep. intervened us, and and it wasn't done right. And he was squeezing it, Come hurting on. me, he was hurting me on purpose to keep me awake. Patty, don't go to bed. Don't go to bed, Patty. Yeah, and I am look at her. Yeah. I remember this going, bro, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> and, I, no. and I passed out, right? But I didn't. I didn't feel like I was dying. It, right, I felt like I was falling asleep. Legit, legit. Yeah, no pain, no nothing. The heart was, was had stopped. <laughs> I'm being I'm being a little yeah, dramatic. No, I'm mean, exaggerating you know, a bit there, but. So, anyways, they leave Jeez, my driveway. Yeah. I live in New Surrey on Danforth. Yeah, okay, off Falconbridge. Yeah. They go up Falconbridge. Yeah, they turn right onto the Kingsway. My yeah. brother. Guess where they're love again? Sorry, sorry, I don't mean swear again. Uh, they stopped <laughs> at uh, McDonald's on the Kingsway because I died again. Come on, Come man. Come on, man. I you. Now, I didn't see God.
1: I didn't see devil. I didn't see shit. Okay?
14: So, there was no white light. There was nothing. I'm a little bit disappointed, you know? I thought I could have a chat with the big guy up there, but nothing to the like. So, I uh, went to the hospital, and when I got to the hospital, I was awake and emerge, and uh, I watched the doctor put the stint in me the whole nine yards. He gave me shit because I was talking to him while he the stint in me. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, Doc, look at that. I'm like, oh, I was really blocked. He's like, Pat, you got to stop moving. But look how blocked I <laughs> so it was. So I think I was 98, 96, 96, 98% blocked in one of my arteries. So I was, I was fortunate having, after all that, being paddled twice, flatlining twice, uh, I was—I only needed one stint. Wow. And i tell you this right now, bro. I was awake. They put it in through my arm, and I was watching the monitor, mm-hmm. and it's like, a, it's like a red dye, you know, yeah. like water, like food coloring in water, yep. how it looks. Well... When I was looking at it, you, you see this like ping pong ball size of dark fluid floating in water. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how you know how dye floats, goes yeah. Well, I thought that that was uh, the dye, but it was my actual blood. You could see my blood shooting through my <laughs> vein as they're opening up, and I and each time it would pulsate through, I'd wake up a little. Come on, on. oh I, yeah, the energy and the the, the ability to breathe. That's what I tell everybody. The biggest thing I've noticed is I can breathe now. I couldn't breathe before. I'd walk up, my, before I had my heart attack, bro.
6: Yeah.
14: A month before I had my heart attack, I quit cigarettes because I told less I go, I go babe, every time I walk up the stairs here, like I am sweating and my legs from the waist down were like burning, like, you know, when they burn, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. From doing a workout. Oh, and, yeah. And oh, that's I, not good. I know. And I attributed it to, number one, uh, Glensky Babes, I wasn't working out, bro, and I was still puffing darts like crazy.
2: So uh, I quit. The, I, I figured, yeah.
14: you know what, Patty? You lazy shit. You haven't, worked, you haven't been yeah. to. You haven't lifted a weight in three years. Yeah. I was doing push-ups at home. A little bit, little bit of curls, just to maintain a little yeah, bit. yeah. Just a bit of physique. So. That does nothing unless you do no. 200 push-ups a day, every day. Yeah, it's high demand when you're it's doing that It's high demand, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. and that's all being lazy, right? You yeah. Know, procrastination nation, baby. <laughs> and so, but the biggest thing, anyways, sorry, sidetracked there again, but like I said, the biggest thing that I, with the stint when they put in was... I felt like I had a new set of lungs. Whoa! Couldn't breathe. I I, I, I had a shorter breath all the time. and I realize now, I guess I saw it coming, but I didn't know that's what was coming. But I knew something's not right with me. Something is, the oil in this body is thick right now, right? It's club, club, club. So that was my experience. And and I'll tell you something right now.
0: I've never felt better. Richie Rich on DJing during the pandemic. I almost don't want that to be... I don't want that to be the case because we need to be entertained more now because now we're just consumed with a lot of... B.S. going around, right? Yeah, it's not. I think. I think. um, I mean, entertainment was still uh, capable of
13: happening throughout COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think live is the key word. Live entertainment changed. Um, You had Ah, no more mass gatherings at live events, uh, especially indoor. You know, I mean, outdoor events eventually can continue to happen as long as you could space yourself and social distance. Right. Um, But in in my um, example, Mm. um, the only way I could perform live events was through video. Right. And so I quickly became a Twitch streamer. Nice. <laughs> Epic. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it didn't make me a whole lot of money. It right. gave me a lot of opportunity to continue practicing what I do. Which is what you love to do. So, Yeah. Otherwise, if, if, I wanted to, yeah, if I wanted to be in front of people and, and do something live, I could mm-hmm. never do it without, you know, um, without being social distanced by everybody because right. of COVID. So uh, that's how I probably changed my business and, and the way I operated yeah. was that video became really important more than ever mm-hmm. and I think the whole the entertainment, entertainment industry um, had to adapt that way yeah. especially for live events I know right away you know you always uh, you know, find um, bands and uh, yeah. live performers on social media now just doing live videos because yeah. that's pretty much the only way you're gonna find them it, it's not the same where you know you could walk up to a bar and, and, and all of a sudden there's a guy performing you know and then you want to know because you liked one of those yeah you know like harder that, to find people yeah that's not happening anymore it's it's slowly coming
0: back it's yeah, coming back for sure thankfully yeah it's a uh, slowly moving in the right direction yeah mm-hmm. so I thought this would be a interesting thing to share with you when I was looking through um to our good friend Connor he wanted to do a second event similar to the one pre- yeah. prior and he said who should I get to host and out of the probably 40 comments at least 35 were all <laughs> saying you and then saying hey yeah, did a great job last year and I was like amazing. Right? I was like right. I'm gonna share this with him in case you didn't uh, catch a glimpse so um, well I'm honored I think that's that's awesome I would love to do right. another event I can't take all the credit though
6: um, I mean, <laughs> I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna keep the light shining on you. You don't have to. You can direct it elsewhere. But so so um,
13: when I do that that production, I, I had done some already for another group called uh, Subri MMA. Yep. Um, they did uh, Northern fights and a couple other events. That's right. Yes. Um, so I originally was hired as the host, but they still needed somebody to play music. They still wanted lighting. They still wanted you know, interaction with the crowd, mm-hmm. um, so I have to create all of that through a team. I don't just do it on my own, there's no way I could be Love. standing behind the decks playing the music at yeah. the same time as being in the ring and announcing, but also at the same time making sure that the lighting is right, um, or the video feed is correct, because I mean we, we have, uh, yeah. you know, in the event uh, venues, they have video on the walls where you yeah. can actually see what's happening, or time who's here, being though. introduced. Yeah. Um, so I have a team that helps me with that. Yeah. I don't do it all on my own. That right. would be virtually impossible. Yeah, would be crazy.
0: <laughs> I mean, you can through virtual, you Yeah, know, through live. It's probably like, I guess easier, but what uh, now taking it back now that we're doing kind of, uh, like you did a bit of like the live stuff and the streaming that mm-hmm. way, what was something that was a challenge, what was the most challenging thing about that transition part? And what was the, something that you found just, you just grasped onto right away? So I had already done or used uh,
13: the whole Twitch thing before COVID hit. Um, mm. You know, I had seen it. I had seen other people using it. But I always thought it was just a way for me to create video. Right. And I quickly learned that it's not or it shouldn't be used that way. Um, it's actually a community, and it's an interactive community. So in other yeah. words, when I'm on video, I want to actually chat and, and use that function to yeah. communicate with whoever's watching me. Whoa. Right? Right. So the first few times I used uh, Twitch, the only thing I thought was, oh, I'm just going to play my set, yeah. pick the songs I'm going to play, and, and record myself doing it right. on Twitch. For sure. I stream. Little, little did I know, people that are watching me want to you know interact and talk and chat with me. Um, or, or they want me to do certain things. So Twitch has like, you know... Um, a system in place where you could spend coins and get the person who's live streaming to change it up or do something, right? So I mean, Man, that's pretty that, cool. Yeah, it is cool. It, it really is cool, and that's where um, I think I, I made changes or I learned mm-hmm. that this is how this is the platform is actually supposed to be used. Yeah, yeah, and wow. I still think there's a lot of people that don't really understand the full potential of
0: what it can do. No, no, not at all. Jeez, that's one thing that I've wanted to almost get into with the podcast, but at the same time, I don't know the best way. I would have to, like, look into it and, like... Research it? Yeah. yeah.
13: I, I, I've uh, started reading a book on, like, for, for uh, entertainers anyways, how to monetize Twitch. Um, so I'm sure if you search, you know, you yeah. could probably find a book based on sure. podcasting, what's the best yeah. way to monetize or use Twitch for that. Twitch for
0: that, specifically, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I think that's a cool. I love that you said community. 'Cause I think that's such a cool thing that we were missing throughout the time that you had to make the transition over to like well, virtual. Right. And like when yeah, I first huge. started
13: when I first started streaming, it was like I'm in front of the camera and that's it. I didn't realize that there's somebody else on the other side of the camera that wants to to watch and be part of what I'm huh. doing. And it yeah. it goes right back full circle to when I started my business and I wanted to create something memorable yeah. for people. Well, doing a live stream or a video is no different. Right. So to create that that special memory for them, I have to make sure that I'm interacting or uh, I'm getting something from them so that I can give it back to them, right? Yeah. That's cool.
0: Yeah. Kim explains Chinese medicine to Glenn. The connection ship. <laughs> like, uh but they're like, "Well, it's your Wi-Fi." And I'm like, "But mine like my mom teaches on the thing, like she's just, yeah. it's fine for her. It should be fine for this." You know, yeah. so then you're yeah. arguing kind yeah. yeah. And so it's yeah. For the life of me, I'm I'll fly somewhere to do a podcast yeah. before I.
15: Yeah, no, I hear you. I'm grateful for cameras. that as well.
0: Yeah, it was nice, but then I got over it quickly, and yeah. now we're uh, now we're here. Yeah. But switching a bit of gears, are you? Do you practice Chinese medicine at all or have you studied it?
15: Yeah, I, I, uh, I do. I am part of the college of traditional Chinese medicine practitioners and acupuncturists of Ontario, nice. CTCMPAO. It's a really I'm it's a, very impressed. It's a big, yeah, big mouthful. Yeah. Um, so I did my acupuncture, I completed it in 20 and 2000 mm-hmm. and in 2013, they regulated acupuncture, which was the thing to do. Cause we are breaking the surface of the skin. Yep. Um, and then what they did was they allowed us to write a series of exams. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you pass them, then they would grandfather you in to mm-hmm. this Chinese medicine piece. Um, but when Whoa. I took my acupuncture, I just took acupuncture. Yeah. I didn't take traditional Chinese medicine. Oh. Right? Yeah. But the college is all of it. So it's the herbs. It's the, the diagnosing of the pulses and, and the tongue. Wow. So it's, 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 a, it's a very detailed, it, it's a whole practice. Yeah. Right? Um, and it's very, very different from Western, obviously. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, I took a little bit of studying and uh, mm. et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, so I I, I did. I uh, was able to keep my acupuncture license, and I it's a big part of what I do actually. Not mm. not the traditional Chinese methods, the acupuncture. What's an
0: example of a traditional uh, Chinese method? Of um.
15: So they so traditionally they work in meridians. Okay. Right. So their belief system runs that. Um, every ailment mm-hmm. is either an excess or deficiency. There's a there's a problem within that meridian. So we've got lung, okay. kidney, heart, right? Yeah. So and if you've ever seen one of those anatomical drawings with the yeah. meridians, you'll see the little dots and the lines that kind of run up.
7: Oh, okay, right? yeah, so I know what you're talking about. They
15: all connect. So when oh. you look up, say someone comes to you and they're having trouble with fertility, oh, well, yeah? there is a protocol or there's series of protocols mm-hmm. and there's also laws yeah. so if one way doesn't work you can work off of a different law so it's actually it's very very interesting stuff Whoa. and then they give you the points and you, sometimes you're simulating yeah. sometimes you're dampening and so you're working on uh, what might be blocking oh that's cool right so really neat stuff so fertility is nice. a big one and yeah. um, um, and they work in like dampness and colds and and uh, so what their lungs are doing what their pulses are doing and uh, yeah oh. so it's it's very different from yeah we say it's different but when I went to write the exam yeah. um, so you know in terms of heat mm-hmm. right they say okay well there's a lot of heat in you well that to us that's inflammation so it's not that different it's just the language is different Right, and then when you look at you know um, dampness, well, dampness could be something from an infection to um, arthritis to right. So think about being in a damp corner for a little bit. What what, how would you feel? Right. So we think of them very differently.
0: Chill feeling. Yeah, Yeah. but
15: you can actually under if you understand what they're describing from thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. All our medicine typically matches.